But I know that we do have some guests in the room, and so let me just go ahead and uh, preface this message with this, is that if you're here, you're our guest, I'm not asking anything from you. Uh, but there is some truth that I'm going to communicate that is universal, that is biblical, but that's not the reason that I'm sharing it with you. Um, and, and so, but I want to encourage you because if you can grab hold of what I'm going to share with you, it will change your life. It really will. Why? Because that's what the Bible does. Biblical truth will transform your life for the good. And so we need to look at all the parts of Scripture and apply them to our life. And when we take the, the God's Word and we apply it to our life, it has unbelievable benefits and blessing in every part of our life. And so um, so the title of this series is called Sugar Daddy. And uh, the tagline of it is, is just moving beyond the superficial. And I believe that sometimes as believers is that we can look at God and even approach God in a way that really uh, isn't proper or really uh that would produce the greatest blessing, I'll say it that way, into our life. And so we can live at a very shallow level if we choose to, or we can choose to actually go deeper in our relationship with the Lord. And, you know, and it does produce blessings. And so last week I gave you, now this is just my definition, because some of you may or may not be aware or familiar with the term sugar daddy. And, uh, but this is my personal definition is that it is someone who come or it, it is someone who comes with financial benefits regardless of the quality of the relationship so it's somebody we have a relationship with but it's more about the money than it is about the relationship and many times we can approach god that way is that we want to go to god when we have a need but we won't talk to him again until we have another need and so we just treat him as somebody who helps fix our problems versus somebody that we want to have a relationship with and so, but if we're not careful, we can just settle for that type of relationship with God when he actually wants something much more than that. You know, last week, this week, we handed out candy and, you know, I happened this week to find some bits of candy in the carpet in the sanctuary. Thankfully, it didn't make a mess and I didn't get in trouble for it. Hallelujah. And, um, but, uh, you know, but the reality is, is that many of you, I was actually surprised, by the way, how many of you were eating those things during service? Because I just thought nobody liked them. I just thought people were like, why did you buy me some nasty candy? And then many of you were eating them. But how many of you, when you left church, went and ate lunch? Did anybody just think, man, that little piece of candy just satisfied my soul and my body and I just don't need to eat anything? No, it's a piece of candy, Right. And it doesn't really satisfy your hunger. It, it does satisfy your sweet tooth, maybe. You know, maybe it has that, you know, but I've never eaten a piece of candy and just been satisfied. Now, I know that Snickers tells you that it satisfies for a moment. Like a Snickers for me is just a holdover to give me about 30 more minutes till lunch. Maybe an hour, if, 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 you know, if I'm really into something. But it's not like a meal. I mean, like when I eat food, I, by the way, I'm a foodie. God gave us food. He said, eat and enjoy. So it's biblical, you know, and, uh, you know, but there's something different about, and it doesn't matter how much candy you eat. When you eat a meal, there's something that's satisfied on the inside of you. And see, and this is really how God wants to work in our life. And, and so, you know, and so specifically, and I'll just go ahead and get past the, the obvious thing is today I'm talking about money. I'm going to talk about it in depth. We're going to look at what scripture has to say about it. And so last week, I'm going to give you just a couple of things that I shared with you last week. But, uh, and I'm not going to preach at all. You'll have to go back and listen to that. But I asked the question last week is how much money is too much money? Now, do you have a, do you have a, put a figure in your mind? 
How much money is too much money? Is that $10,000? Is that $100,000? Is it $100 million? Like how much money is too much money? Because the truth is it's different for every one of us. And here's how I define too much money. Anything that replaces my trust in God is too much money. You could have $100 and have too much money. You could have $100 million and it not be too much money. Why? Because it didn't replace your trust in God. And so we talked about that last week. And, you know, and I even shared this thought with you last week that if, if money is so evil, why doesn't Satan just pour it on Christians and watch us backslide right into hell? Right. If, if it's just ev- if it's just evil, then for the for the devil to win, all he has to do is make us rich and it will ruin us. But why doesn't he do that? Because money is a mirror. It just reflects the person who's holding it. Money is amoral. It doesn't have a conscience. It doesn't have good or bad. It just reflects. And in truth, you know, and so what happens is that sometimes we can say that people that have resources or have means well, they're greedy people. No, greedy people are greedy. And how many of you know you can be broke and greedy? Like it doesn't take money. See, because the thing is, is that, and people say this, we shared this last week a little bit, is that, well, you got to be careful. Money will change you. Is that money doesn't change you. Money reveals you. It just shows you who you've always been. So you can be quiet and nice and, and pleasant when you're broke, but you get some money and all of a sudden you're a jerk. Well, guess what? You were always a jerk. You just had to be nice and pleasant so that people would take care of you. Now, I didn't give you the preface. I should let me back up. I'm going to be blunt today. I'm going to be me, maybe a little extra me today. And, uh, you know, and so I'm just going to say some things, put it out there. But see, greed is a condition of the heart. It's not an amount in our bank account. I'll say it again. Greed is a condition of our heart, not an amount in our bank account. And so we have to understand that the blessings of God, prosperity is for a purpose. Our income is for an impact. That is God's desire. But true prosperity is for blessing, not possessing. Now, these are all things that I shared with you last week. So I'm going to not spend much time on these. I just want to get kind of just to get us all on the same page. And so the thing that we have to understand about our resources and our income and all of the blessings that the Bible says that God gives us richly to enjoy God doesn't have a problem if you're blessed. As a matter of fact, the Bible, and we looked at this last week in Psalms, it says that God delights when you prosper. But he wants your soul to prosper more than your checkbook. And sometimes the thing that's actually holding our checkbook back and the blessings of God in our finances is that our soul is not ready to handle the blessing of God. And he is a good father and he will not give you something that you're not ready to handle. It's not going to happen. And so we need to understand is that we don't want to confuse the source of all that we have being God with all of the resources that we have, because resources actually come with responsibility. And we are responsible for everything that comes into our our hands. And so here's the truth that you need to grab hold of. This is where we left off last week. And this is really what I want you to hear. And you're going to hear this a couple times today is that nobody takes better care of you than dad. There is nobody that will take better care of you than your heavenly father. But the question is, is how much do we actually trust him to do that? 
Or do we try to take control and take the reins and pull things back and, and do all of these kinds of things? And so he is the source of our resources. Last week, I shared this with you. One of his Old Testament names is that he is El Shaddai, which means all sufficient. He's got everything that you need. So he's El Shaddai, not El Cheapo. Sometimes we have the idea, like if I serve the Lord, if I trust the Lord, he's going to ask me for everything. Even if he asks you for everything, it's because he had something better in mind. I mean, we, we see the, 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 the story, the parable of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. And he says, hey, what must, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, you've got to do, you know, and, and he starts, the rich young ruler starts to list off all these things. And he's like, oh, I've done all of those things. And Jesus said, yeah, but go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And it says that he went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. How many of you know that Jesus was not after his possessions? Jesus was after his heart and his heart was more into his possessions than it was into really following after Jesus. Jesus didn't need his stuff. But we are called to steward it. And so I want you to grab hold of this, though, is that nobody will take better care of you than your dad. He is your heavenly father and he is a good father. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from him. He doesn't need to bring bad things into your life. As a matter of fact, he can't bring bad things into your life. Why? Because that's what the word of God says. He is good and he does that which is only good. So he can't violate his word. We do have an enemy that brings negative bad things into our life. Yes, but God is good. And so in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24, it's a pretty familiar passage of scripture, but he makes the statement here, Jesus is teaching, and he says, how could you worship two gods at the same time? He said, you will either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, you can't worship the true God while being enslaved to the God of money. Now, money is not a God, but, but money does have a spirit that can come with it. Other translations say this, it calls it mammon. Well, mammon was the Syrian God of money. And what it did was it promised riches. And so when Jesus, he didn't just pull some random name out. He was actually speaking to a specific belief system that they had about money. And they said, if I serve mammon, he's going to bring me everything that I want. In other words, mammon was like their sugar daddy. If I just do what he says, he's going to bless me. And so Jesus is speaking to this here. And so what mammon actually tries to do and look, and every one of us have to fight this is that mammon wants us to put our faith and our trust in money when it should be placed in God. It wants to replace God. And here, the Bible says that you cannot worship while you're enslaved. So in other words, you need to find some freedom from the hooks that money wants to put into your life. That's just the, the facts. I mean, I didn't say this, Jesus said this. So you don't have to trust me, take his word for it. And so let me give you a little test. Now this one's going to sting a little bit, I'm just going to warn you. It might. If you feel a little bit more significant or secure when you have money in your account, that's actually the spirit of mammon. If you feel better about yourself because of what's in your bank account, that's actually the spirit of mammon. Like when you're broke, if you think less of yourself, you've bought into a lie. If you think something of yourself because you have money, you've bought into a lie. You're valuable because of the price that has been paid for you, not the amount of money that you possess. You're valuable to God 
And so it's important. And so really, and so this, the spirit of mammon tries to get us to put our security and our significance in what only is supposed to belong to God. And so here's the message that mammon continually says to us. And it's a personal message is that there's not enough for you. There's not enough for you. It's not enough for everybody else. No, it's for you. Like you're not going to have enough. You're not going to be taken care of. God's going to forget about you. You can't trust God. It's very personal. And yet it's in competition. And so there's this fight over our heart. It's not about our money. It is about our heart. I said that, and I shared this with you last week quite a bit, is that God is after our heart. If he can get our heart, he'll bring us everything else. Why? Because my soul will prosper. And God says, I can bless that. I can trust them that they're going to do what I ask them to do. So it picks up here in verse 25 of Matthew 6 and says, um, this is why I tell you not to worry, not to worry, not to worry. Why? Because nobody's going to take better care of you than dad. And if you knew that you had such a good dad who, let me, like, we quote this a lot is that God has the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hill. He doesn't just own the cattle on the hill. He owns every blade of grass that every cow is about to eat. And he says, if you've got a need, I can get it to you if you'll trust me. The, the question becomes, is, do we trust him? Because that means even when I don't understand and even when I don't know, I'm still going to trust God, right? So do not worry about your everyday life. Whether you have enough to eat or to drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. He says they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly father feeds them. And again, I want you to catch this. Aren't you more valuable to him? Aren't you more valuable than a a bird that can fly overhead and drop dead on the other side of you? And here it says that aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Have you ever worried a bill paid? Like just worried, worried, worried. And it's like, oh, it got paid miraculously. No, that doesn't happen. Here's what you do. If you have a bill that you can't pay, the Bible says you need to have faith. You need to do your part, right? But there are times where You're like, God, I need some help. You trust God. See, here's one of the things that we have to know. Because mammon says, do what I say and I will bless you. I've got good news for you. God doesn't say, you have to perform to get me to do something for you. We get into the mindset, well, I have to, you know, like if if we've got all of our Christianese things in line, we say, okay, God can bless me this week. But then Monday, you're like, oh, man, I just blew that. No, we need God on our worst days, not on our best days. And God is good and God is faithful and God loves us. Like beyond anything that we can fully comprehend. I mean, I have children and I love my kids. And yet I know my love for my kids fails in comparison to his love for me. And the same is true for you. So again, I'm going to say it again, is that nobody can take better care of you than dad. Nobody. So if you're thinking your job's going to take care of you, they can't take care of you as good as dad. 
If you think your spouse is going to take care of you, nobody can take better care of you than dad. If you think winning the lottery is going to take care of you. By the way, on average, anybody who wins the lottery, it takes less than three years for them to be in a worse state than when they won. And that's just facts. Go look it up yourself. Win millions of dollars and they're worse. Why? Because there was something in them. It wasn't the money. They weren't ready for it. So it continues in verse 30 of Matthew 6. It says, if God cares so wonderfully. Now he's talking about the lilies of the valley and all these nice poetic things. We're skipping it for the sake of time. But he says, if God so wonderfully cares for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown in or thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Why do you trust so little? If God takes care of all these other things, what are you worried about? And he says it again. He says, so don't worry about these things. What will you eat? What will you drink? What will you wear? And here's a key phrase. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Why do they dominate the thoughts of unbelievers? Because they don't have a good dad. And it's, I got to take care of me and I got to do what I got to do. And I got to take care of my own and I've got to make this happen. And look, and we are about nature. We are more hardwired for this. We have to unlearn that way of thinking. That is a, a really, it's a fallen way of thinking. Unbelievers are dominated. Their thoughts are dominated by the worries, the stress of these things. But it says your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. In other words, put it first and live righteously. And he will give you everything that you need. Now, let me just, I'm going to make a statement, but I'm going to have to move on from it. Because there's a whole discussion around needs and wants. There are things that we think we need. There's a reason that we talk about buyer's remorse. I regret that I bought that. I was listening to something the other day and they said, and I don't remember the exact percentages, but they said it was a large percentage of people who had just randomly spent $100 that week. 60, 70, 80% of people. Like, oh yeah, I blew 100 bucks, just kind of. And then they said people who had spent over $1,000. It was like 40%, somewhere in the 30, 40% range. I was like, you just casually walking through the store ah, without even thinking about it. Just spending money, right? But see, we have to define needs and wants because God didn't necessarily say that he would just give me everything I wanted. He did say he'd give me everything I need and I'll add this. So this is just my, he will give me everything I can handle. And sometimes my wants, I'm not ready for. And God says, your character can't sustain that blessing. And you want that boat more than you want me. You want that house. You want that relationship. You want that, that job, that position, that status, whatever it may be. You want it more than me. But remember the first commandment? I will have no other God before me. We can make things into gods. And God says, nope, not signing off on that one. I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring that into your life. And so this is what I would encourage you. We do this. We, one of our small groups throughout the semesters will offer like financial peace. If you're in a mess, join the club. There's no pressure here. There's no guilt. I got the t-shirt. I got the certificate. I've done it multiple times. Like, and I've watched God work and I've watched God help us. And there's, there's no excuse for ignorance. I'll just say it that way. There really isn't. 
We live in the information age. We live in an opportunity age. Things can happen in a moment of time, but we've got to trust God. And so even the blessings of God and prosperity is not for selfishness and greed. It's really for influence and impact. That's why God blesses us. There's a phrase that some of my friends like to use from time to time. And they say, hey, boo, it ain't about you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's just not about us. God says, I want you to live a life larger than you, bigger than you. And so it's like, well, hey, that sounds great. I want to live a life that's bigger than me. I want God to bless me. I want, I want to have more money than I know what to do with. That'd be a great problem to have, but how do I do that? Well, we've already been talking about it. You've got to trust the Lord. You've got to put him first. I told you I was going to be blunt today. Here's my most blunt statement of the day. Is that God will bless the work of your hand, not your butt on the couch. I know that's not popular. God will bless the work of your hands, not your butt on the couch. It is biblical. Just in my translation. Okay. Sometimes, because what happens is even in the area of our giving, sometimes we want to use our giving as an escape. Like an emergency ejection. God, I got myself into a mess. Help me. Because I did that. And God was quiet. And I'm sowing seeds. I'm like, oh, God's going to help me like my little get out of jail free card. And God was like, no, I'm going to walk with you out of this because, and here's the thing. He gets right in the middle of our mess. He doesn't scold us and say, I can't believe you did this. He's like, you know what? I love you and you need me for this moment. And I'm going to help you walk right out of this. And I had to learn Number one, how to handle money, how to keep it in priority in the right spots, how to tell myself no. One of my friend, uh, friends one time made a statement. He said, sometimes you need to flex your no muscle to yourself. It's easy for me to tell my kids no. Like, y'all can't have that. Y'all don't need you got, Y'all got enough toys. But then I'm at, walking through Home Depot and there's a tool and I'm like, mm, I need this tool. And Darren may ask for what? I don't know yet. Give me a couple years and I will let you know. This is no joke. I was doing some work here a couple months ago and I'm doing, trying to cut some metal and I had the thought, I have a tool for this. In the box, brand new, I've had it for two years. I bought it for this moment right here. And I made sure to tell her about it too. Remember? And she's like, no, I don't remember. It was that long ago. It was great, praise God. I was justified. A few months ago, me and Sean were talking about this series, a number of months ago now, about six months ago, actually, we were talking about it. And he made such a great statement that I want to share it with you. He says that we don't want to be like the bears that just come and take all the honey. We want to be like the bees that make the honey. Bees work to make honey and the bear just wants to come and take all the sweet stuff. I thought that was really good. You're like, what? I don't want to work. Yeah, but that's where God says he'll bless you. That even means in, in your attitude on your job, you may hate your boss, but you got to walk in love with him. The Bible says, do everything that you do as unto the Lord. 
Didn't say if your boss is good. Doesn't say if they're kind. Why? Because God can give you favor on your boss and you may become your boss's boss. And you're going to walk in love with them there too. God may say, you know what? You've reached the peak of where you're at in this company, but I got something better. And and this company cannot limit your provision because I'm your source, not your job. That's why we have to have that understanding of who is our source. My paycheck does not pay my bills. My work that God blesses pays my bills. And we have to have this mindset. So here's another truth. Now, these are just practical things. If you really want to be a good steward, somebody who manages your affairs, which really your stuff is God's stuff. He owns it all. Now, he gives us everything to enjoy. But if I'm going to really be generous the way that God wants me to be generous, that means I'm going to have to have some money left over at the end of my month. Why? So that I can be generous, which that's a a long way of saying you got to live on less than you make. We don't like that. We're in a consumer culture. We want to spend like 120% of what we make. That's called debt. 20% would be debt. That's why I tell you, if you have, and look, there's no judgment. I have a car note. I have a house. I have debt. But it is managed very well. And I am believing God actively to give me the ability to what? To pay some things off. So I'm not saying this like, Debt is sin. I don't think it's necessarily wise. Especially when it gets to places like where I got with it, where the experts told me there's nothing we can do to help you. And then I went to God as my last resort to say help. And you know what? He was faithful and he helped me and he came alongside of me and he he brought me opportunities of blessing. They just looked a lot like work. And I just thought, this ain't what I prayed for, Lord. You've redeemed me. Like, yeah, but I already worked my job. Get a side hustle. It ain't forever. Don't put your faith in that. Do something on the side. Work a little bit more. Like, oh, I'd be a workaholic. It'll be all right. I tell you, as somebody who is a workaholic, I love to be productive. But I can be confident in my production and lose sight of who I'm trusting in. And the Lord has to remind me and remind me. And remind me, and remind me, you are not your source. Trust me, God can do more in a moment of favor than I can do in a lifetime of hustle. It's true. But there may be some things you need to look around your house. I don't know why I'm getting into all this. Apparently somebody needs it. Look around your house, sell some stuff, get rid of some stuff. We've all got more stuff than we need. Find a way, take steps, move in a direction, be believing God. So it's important. So let me give you the, the scripture for the biblical principle of living on less than you may. It comes out of Proverbs 21, verse 20. It says, there is precious treasure and oil in the house of the, or the house of the wise who prepare for the future, a.k.a. savings. There is precious treasure and oil. In the house of the wise. There's two. Now there are two ways you can prepare for the future. One of them. Is on your own. You say well what does that look like? That could be your savings account. That could be your retirement account. That can be your investments. That can be whatever that you're doing. 
But this is, and, and there's nothing wrong with those things. We should prepare. But the question is, am I more confident in what is in my IRA, in my retirement account? Am I more confident in the stock market, which if you don't know, is like on a roller coaster ride. And it does this all the time. How do you know where you trust? How often do you go check that account? Do you look at it every morning? Does it change your mood when it takes a dip? Do you get overly excited when it jumps up? That's, those are indicators. So I can either trust on my, in myself or I can trust in the Lord with my future. It's not being foolish. God is so practical and so wise and God wants to bless you beyond what you can even begin to understand. But it's going to require that you trust him. Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 10 says what? Trust in the Lord. Lean not to your own understanding in all of your ways. Acknowledge him and he's going to direct your path. It goes on in verse 10. It says that we're to honor the Lord with the first fruits of all of our increase. Why? Because it belongs to him. I don't have to do this. I get to do it. And there's a big difference. Why? Because I have to do it when it belongs to me. I get to do it because I understand it belongs to him. And God can do way more with my 90% than I could ever do with my 100%. Way more. When I trust the Lord in my finances. And I trust the Lord to say, God, I believe that if you can get it through me, I know that you'll get it to me. I know this. So this is so important. We understand this. And it goes on here and it says in the latter part of verse 20, it says that a short-sighted man or a short-sighted and foolish man swallows it all up and wastes it. In other words, you consume everything you get. You keep nothing in reserve. See, giving is all about the heart. Dave Ramsey actually, one of, the, one of his phrases one of his, is, that, is, is this, is that you must gain control over your money or the lack of it will forever control you. I've been there. The lack of my money absolutely dominated my thoughts. 100%, all the time. Now, I read some of this verse to you last week and I'm gonna read it to you again. It comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And this is just a spiritual principle. Now, I said this last week. I know some of you may have the thought right now, like, you're just after my money. No, I'm not. I'm giving you the biblical perspective of what God wants for you. This is God's plan. This is God's desire. And so he has a system for our blessing. He says, if you want my blessing, this is how you do it. So it says in... 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, it says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will have a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Don't give because you hear me telling you to. He says, you might as well not even give. He says, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So giving is all about our heart. It's more about motive than the amount, right? And so even the the idea of giving and tithing in the Old Testament, it was law. Like there was no option. Go read the Old Testament. I'm glad I live in grace. But the principle of the tithe still works. 
It absolutely does. Because what? It produces life. I, I, I made this, I told you this last week, and it's kind of funny, so I'll say it again. Is that he's a good father. He's not the Godfather. He's not coming looking for your kneecaps, your fingers, like you didn't give, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. He's not coming to get you. He wants to bless you. Now, verse, verse 10, and this, I really want you to catch this. I'm going to spend just a moment here because it's very important. So this is, we just read through verse 8. I skipped verse 9, but in verse um, 10, it says, Now, this is verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 9, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now, I want to speak to this verse for a moment because here's the truth is that every dollar that comes into our life is either bread or seed. It's one or the other. You're like, well, what do you do with bread? What do you do with seed? You plant it, right? And so really bread is for now. God says, I'm going to take care of your now needs, which this would include things like, um, so your current needs, your obligations, if you've got a bill, that's an obligation. It even includes some of your wants. Here's what I would tell you. God doesn't have a problem with you wanting something. Just ask him if it's okay first. God, is it okay if I take some of your money and go buy this? And he may say, I would be delighted for you to go get that. I mean, think about your kid on Christmas morning. Are you mad at them because they went and opened a gift? They didn't pay for it. They didn't earn it. But you love them and you're excited. Like you go wake them up early and it's like, let's go open presents. Let's go open presents. That's how the father is with us. He really doesn't have a problem with us even having desires. He just doesn't want it to be out of place. And so bread is for now. And it says that God will what? He will give us bread for food. But it also says that he supplies seed. Seed is for the future. Seed is what we plant so that it multiplies and will come back to us in the future. I believe it's Ecclesiastes, either Isaiah or Ecclesiastes. I think it's Ecclesiastes, though, that says to sow your bread upon the waters so that in many days it will come back to you. That literally what they would do, the children of Israel were wandering people. They were nomadic. They would take seed and throw it into the river. And guess what? It would go downstream. It would land on the bank and there would be a crop so that when they got there, they already had food. Sow your bread upon the water so that in many days... You will have food. When I sow my seed, I'm actually preparing for my future. And here's the thing. The seed always produces more than what was sown. It's a biblical principle. There's no way around this. And so what we don't want to do, and, and, this can, and this is what happens sometimes, is that we get in a tight spot and we have the resources that are our bread. And we're like, I need to sow a seed because I have, like, God, I need you to come through. And God's like, you need that for lunch. But we want to try to sow our bread. Well, bread, if you sow it, guess what it does? It won't grow. Why? It's bread. You don't sow bread to get a harvest. You eat bread. But you also shouldn't eat your seed. Why? Because you won't have a future harvest. It won't happen. So we have bread. We have seed. So the question could be is, are we eating our seed? Are we consuming it? That's why we have to what? Live on less than we make. See, this is God's plan. This is God's system. He says, man, I want to bless you and I want to prosper you, but you got to keep money in its proper place. 
In 2 Corinthians, this is, so we just read verse 10, verse 11 says that you will be uh, enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, or in, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 12 says this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks be unto God. So let me ask you a question. What would it be like if you didn't have to ask money for permission to obey God? What would it be like if you didn't have to ask your money permission to obey God when he prompted you? I go, what do you mean? In other words, you had enough in reserve that God said, hey, buy that person's meal. No problem. I would be glad to do it. But our default is, well, let me pull out the credit card. I'll pay for it in two weeks. What if I had money in reserve that to obey God with? That I'm literally, that I have it and I'm just saying, God, I'm, I'm just asking you to show me the place. That I know that I can't outgive you. I know that I can't bless more people that you won't bless me. That God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, he will reap. God will not be made a fool of. If you sow with the right heart, with the right motive, God says, I can bless that. See, living a generous life has eternal impact. Luke 16, 9 says this. I'm just reading you one, one verse, but I would encourage you to go read the, the story here. It's actually talking about a shrewd businessman. But Jesus makes a statement. He says, it is important. If Jesus says something is important, I think it's important, by the way. He says, it's important that you use the wealth of this world to demonstrate your friendship with God by winning friends and blessing others. I want to be about blessing other people and, and serving other people. And then it says, and then, so after I've sown, after I've, I've used my worldly resources, it says, when this world fails and falls apart, your generosity will provide you with an eternal reward. I may not see all the rewards of my generosity on this side of heaven, but it's okay. They're never lost. Now, I will see some rewards. I believe that I've seen that to be true, but I hope that my life amounts to more than what I can hold on to in this life. And I hope when I stand before the Lord that he's going to say all of these, remember that money, those Bibles that you sent to Iran a few months ago. Remember that $8 that you sent? Well, let me show you what your $8 did for eternity. And so we have these types of opportunities. And so another question that I believe that we could ask is this, is that will we commit to living blessed by growing into prosperity. Prosperity is not an amount. It's a heart condition. We're going to have to grow into it. So here's you another question. The question isn't if I'm a steward. Because we can think, well, if I have stuff, I'm a steward. No, you are a steward. The real question is, is how am I stewarding the resources that God has already brought into my life? Because the key for your future, you already possess. I say it this way, is that the seed is already in your house. You've already got it to start. May not be where you want to be. It may not be the ultimate goal, but you got to start somewhere. I mean, if you got a bunch of bills, you got to start paying something off so you can pay off more, right? Same thing with being generous. You can have the thought, man, I would love to give $1,000 away. If you can't give $10 away, 
It's a biblical principle. If you're not faithful with little, how can you be faithful with much? I mean, like, I would encourage you, and I would encourage you to take some time with this. I want you to dream a little bit about what would God, what could God do through you like something crazy to be a blessing to somebody else. I'll just give you an example of this. What if it was, I want to give a car away to somebody. Or maybe it's, I want to pay off somebody's car. I want to buy somebody a set of tires. I I want to buy somebody's groceries just because I felt compassion in my heart. I remember one time we were in Walmart and this is when we were getting out of debt and man, I was gung ho about it. And we had all our groceries, man, I had it all written out and all the detail. And there was somebody behind me that I happened to know. And they came up and said, hey, we want to buy your your groceries. It's one of the most generous things that someone's ever done for me because I needed that money. I mean, I needed to eat, but I needed that money. And yeah, I had budgeted it. But man, it gave us some room and I was able to go pay off a different bill just because somebody saw me in Walmart and just said, hey, can I, can I pay for your groceries? You want to catch somebody's attention? Do that to a stranger. And they're like, who are you? You're weird, but a good kind of weird. There's a good kind of weird. Don't be the bad kind of weird. What would it be though? If you said, God, this would be so amazing if you would allow me to do this for somebody. God, I don't, I don't want to live a life about me. I, I want to be about your kingdom. I mean, we're, we're getting ready to go into the holidays. Let me just give you another idea. What would it be like to go find a single mom that God puts on your house and says, puts on your heart and say, hey, I want to, I want to provide Christmas for your kids. You just let me know what, what they need. I'm going to bring it to your office and you give it to it like it's from you. But I want to do that. Because the Lord put it in my heart. You want to talk about blessing a mama's heart. But you can't do that if you don't have it. We are called to live in generosity. We are called to live a life that is way bigger than us. But we, it, it requires that we're faithful. Now let me just, I'm going to make a statement and then I've got one more scripture. And then we're going to wrap up. Say, so, well, what's the standard like, what is, what is God's expectation of me? It's tithing. Like, yeah, but that's Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament. It's also in the New Testament. I believe in wisdom. And just because it's in the Old Testament doesn't mean I don't live by it. If you need wisdom, go read the book of Proverbs. It'll help you live. I don't throw out Proverbs because it's in the Old Testament. I don't throw out worship because, well, the Psalms is in the Old Testament. No, I still worship. Tithing is a principle. It is the standard. You're like, well, what is tithing? It's 10% of your income. And some of you just went in full freak out mode. You're just like, you're nuts. You don't have to start there. It's not law. But that is the standard. Now, I'll just tell you, I'm not asking you. I'm not, I'm not putting anything before you that I don't personally do. I personally live this in my life. And I don't care if it's $10. I don't care if it's $1,000. I don't care if it's $50,000. The first thing I do is tithe. Because I'm not just teaching you a principle that I don't live. And I'm militant about it. 
And the thing is, is that I've learned that, man, if I'll be faithful with the tithe, God will increase me and bless me to the point that what? Now I can actually give offerings. What's an offering? Above and beyond the tithe. I get to live generously out of an abundance. And, and so anytime that I, that I get into a tight spot, I can go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a tither. I'm a giver. I'm generous. And so I thank you that you meet all of my needs. That money wasn't going to meet my need anyways, but you will. And God just comes in and works. And, and, and so it, it's important that we what? And, and you may not be in a position. I understand. Look, I know what it's like to look at a bill and say, am I going to tithe or am I going to pay this bill? I've been there. And I know that de- that decision. And I've shared this before, but I remember one time I was in a church service and I had, I forgot how much money I had. It was like $102 to my name. And I had a cell phone bill that due the next day. And the Lord told me to sow $100. I was a broke college student, by the way. I'm like, at the, I don't know why, but I happened to have my checkbook on me. I opened it up and it said I had $102. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to be responsible and I'm going to pay my bill. But I knew in my heart what the Lord told me to do. And that is important. You don't do it foolishly. You do it because you felt like the Lord's telling you to do it. I sowed that hundred dollars. And before I left the church that night, somebody walked up and handed me a hundred dollar bill. For no reason. So I was still able to pay my bill and I was able to sow the seed. But that was in, that's a, I'll say this. That's the exception, not the rule. You need to know that because what you're like, well, you just talked about eating your bread. Yeah, but the Lord told me. So I got to pay my bill and provide for my future. And God may prompt you to do something. You're like, man, I hope he never tells me to do something like that. You would if you knew the blessing that would come with it. God's after our heart and God's after our obedience. It's not law. You have to start where you are. You may say, man, I can't do 10%. Could you do 1%? And then you start getting to 1%. You're all right, I'm going to believe God for 2%. All right, I'm going to believe God for 4%. And you just start taking a step, taking a step, taking a step. Why? Because I'm being faithful with what I have. And the Bible says, if I'm faithful with what I have, God will make me ruler over much. I say it this way many times, is that this is how we invite God into our finances. I want God involved in my finances and I want God involved in my future. Because I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what the stock market may or may not do. I don't know what anything may do. I don't want to trust in money. It's fleeting. But this is what I can tell you from my own experience is that when I've trusted God in the area of my finances, he began to work. It wasn't by chance. Luke 638, my last scripture for you today. It says, give and it will be given unto you. Notice, we step first. Give. And it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be poured back into your life. With the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So we have to make the first move. This is the only thing God is is asking from you is your yes. That's it. He's just asking for your yes. It's between you and the Lord. Nobody's coming to look at you and be like, we, we need to talk about your tithing record. It's nobody's business. It's between you and the Lord. But he wants your yes. Why? Because he has blessing in mind. He has resources in mind. More than you can imagine or think. 
So I'm going to give you a couple of resources that I would encourage you to, if, you, if you'd like to maybe understand this, I've done as much as I can do and gone more time than I should have. But here's some resources. If you're like, man, I really want to understand this. Here's a couple of books that I would encourage you to read. The first one is by another pastor. His name's Robert Morris from Gateway Church in Dallas. There's a book called The Blessed Life, but then there's also one called um, I read it, Beyond Blessed. You got to read both of them. Beyond Blessed is actually the, really should have been the first one he said. But it talks about stewardship and sowing and how they work together. He says it's like, it's like us. We got two legs. You really need both. And do that. You could do Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. We offer it in a small group. You could read his book, Total Money Makeover. That was actually the one I started with. I read that book and started changing my life. I went in financial peace and I was almost out of debt by the time I got there. Just because I read a book. Here's another great little book. It's not a very big one. It's by a guy named Al Jandles. Most of you have probably never heard of it. But it's called The Storehouse Principle. It's a tremendous little book. You can get it on Amazon. It's five bucks if you get the Kindle, by the way. You can get all these on Amazon. But just a couple of things for you that if you're like, man, I really want to understand this. And look, if you've got questions, come ask. God is not after your money. God is after your heart, though. And the only reason that he really is asking you of anything is because he has something better in mind. God always has something better in mind. Why? Because nobody will care for you quite like dad. Let me pray over you this morning.